0: Well, good morning to all of you hearty Minnesotan folk out there this morning. It's a little chilly today. And welcome to all of you joining us online as well. I'd like you to think back to when you were a kid. Was there someone that you wanted to be when you grew up? Now, I don't mean just generically like a cowboy or a dolphin trainer, like a specific person, either a real person or a fictional person. Uh, There was a, a gal that was a character in a movie that I really enjoyed in middle school. (laughs) <laughs> she, uh, she, it was a Sean Connery movie that wasn't very popular, but this gal was a scientist who traveled to South America to try to find a cure for cancer. And I just thought she was brave and smart and capable, and I wanted to be like that. But in middle school, I, I wasn't quite sure how to go about that, so I copied whatever I could about her. I, I did my hair to kind of look like hers, and every once in a while I dressed like she would dress, which was khaki shorts and a white tank top with a denim shirt over it. Side note, dressing like a middle-aged scientist is not the way to popularity in middle school. Figured that one out. But I really wanted to emulate the things in this character that I admired and I thought that maybe copying her would help me get there. And I wonder for you, as you think back about your backstory, were there certain characters that had an influence on you, certain people that you decided you wanted to be like and you began to intentionally copy things about them? See, we're all on a trajectory of becoming someone over the course of our life, and maybe we are intentionally trying to become like someone we admire, or maybe we've not really given it that much thought. Maybe we're very aware of the factors that have shaped us into who we are now, Maybe we've not really thought about that that much, but there are definitely clear factors that we know influence who we are and who we're becoming. These may be things like the people that we hang around with the most. Maybe it's the culture that we live in. Our life experiences have absolutely had a huge impact on who we are, and our personal choices are something that we can't overlook as well. These are all factors that play a huge role into shaping us. The invite cards that we passed out for the series on Christmas Eve asked a question on it. It said, do you think 10 years from now you'd like to hang out with the person that you're becoming? And for all of you that read that and thought, sure, well, high five. That's awesome. But if you had any hesitation in that, any tension, if you look at some of these factors and you think, I'm not sure I want to keep going down this road for another 10 years, well, I got you today. Because as I look around the room I don't see any old dogs and I know we can all learn some new tricks that will either keep us on a path that we're happy about or help to put us on a path that we feel good about going for the next 10 years. You may not have thought about this before but every single person here is on a path of spiritual formation and I'm not just saying that because I'm the spiritual formation pastor. Formation is happening to every one of us whether we are conscious of it or not. Probably my favorite pastor, besides the great guys that I get to work with here, of course, is John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer is doing incredible work in the area of spiritual formation. And if you've taken any of our spiritual practices classes before, you get it. I had the opportunity to attend a conference that he put on for pastors last fall and at this conference we were given an advanced copy of his new book called Practicing the Way which comes out this Tuesday and I hope you all get your hands on it. This book is a game changer. This is by far the best book I've ever read on what it means to follow Jesus and you'll see as you read it that I owe a huge debt of gratitude to him for the clarity that he brings to the pathway of discipleship of be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do as he did. You'll also see that we borrowed heavily from some of the principles that have shaped us in our thinking about what it means to follow Jesus in highly practical ways. He writes, the question isn't, are you being formed? It is, who or what are you being formed into? And who or what is doing the forming? Stasis is not on the menu, we're either being transformed into the love and beauty of Jesus, or malformed by the entropy of sin and death. Romans 12 too reminds us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as you sit here today, do you feel more conformed or transformed? This is week three of the series that we're calling Devoted and we get that title from the mission of our church, we exist to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we describe what that looks like in three aspects. What we acknowledge is our authority, where we base our identity, and what it is that drives our activity. And last week, Pastor Rick focused on the first aspect of authority. And of this, we say, I find joy in being with Jesus, submitting to Him, and following His way. Now today, we'll focus more on the second aspect of our identity. And in this, we say, I find joy in defining myself by what Jesus did, and I want to become more like Him. And becoming like Jesus is a really good aim because he's a much better person for us to try to copy than a fictional khaki shorts wearing lady botanist in a B movie. But Jesus is more than just a good role model for us. Becoming like him is God's desired trajectory for our lives. If you ever wonder what God's will is for you, this is it, to become like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is saying that for all of the people who will come to God, his desire from all time for us is Christlikeness. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to, to copy this down. Becoming like Jesus is God's eternal intent and purpose for our formation. Now some of us are gonna make a lot of progress on this in our lives. These are the godly folks that you just love to be around because they radiate joy and love and grace. And maybe despite living horribly difficult lives, they just ooze peacefulness and tranquility and confidence in Christ and you just wanna be like them, to grow up to be like them no matter how old you are. But let's be real, we probably all know some believers that aren't necessarily like that. You know, these are the believers who are gonna get a massive upgrade when they die and get to be in God's presence because they didn't make as much progress on becoming like Jesus in this life as they may have liked. Our series thesis has been maturity is possible, but it's not inevitable. There are no accidental saints. We're not just going to wake up one day and think, wow, suddenly I am free of all worry and free of all lust and anger and money no longer has any hold on me. Boy, I'm not worried or fearful of that thing that was scaring me last week. No, formation is going to happen to us. But formation into a person like Christ won't happen without intentionality. Now, we absolutely all have the ability and the potential to mature in our Christ-likeness, but we don't all do it. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Bad dirt. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus told a parable, a story meant to communicate a point about why some people mature into beautiful, fruitful people in the kingdom of God, and yet others don't. And he used the analogy of how a seed grows in different kinds of soil to illustrate this. If you were with us back last fall for Love is the Agenda, you may remember Pastor Otis preaching a great message on this same parable that informs our approach to how we reach others with the gospel. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and watch it online. But today we're gonna to revisit this parable to explore how this informs our own understanding of how the gospel impacts us. Grab a Bible or use your phone to go to Mark 4. If you're new to reading the Bible, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. And as you're all turning there, before we read this, I wanna say something to those of you who already know this parable quite well. This story is often taught to try to explain why some people hear the gospel and respond to it, and others don't. But I think just this overly simplistic view of this causes an exegetical problem for us. If it's only about who hears and believes, then it makes all Christians automatically the good soil. And yet the point that Jesus is making in this is about good soil people are the ones who go on to lives of fruitfulness. And so as you read, let's think about that as we figure out what to do with that. Mark chapter four, starting in verse one. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. I spoke a moment to those of you who are really familiar with this parable, but now let me speak to you if this was your first time going through it and you're not sure you entirely got the point. It helps to know that in the Greco-Roman world of Jesus' day, sower was a stock symbol for a teacher. Sowing for their teaching, seed for the message that they were trying to convey, and soil for their students. And so the people hearing Jesus would have automatically connected the dots that this is addressing what happens when a teacher is trying to share a message and there are some students that are able to grasp that and to internalize it and apply it, but not all do. So why is it that not everyone goes on to be fruitful for the kingdom of God? We'll find out from this text that the disciples and other followers who were there with them had some questions about this, so if we skip down to verse 15, we'll see Jesus explain, starting in verse 15 here. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Pete Scazzaro in his book Emotionally Healthy Discipleship talks about a problem that we have in contemporary evangelicalism of misunderstanding the gospel and the Christian life as kind of a two-tiered system. That we focus so much on the essential importance of leading people to be believers that we have miscommunicated this idea that only certain people go on to a fruitful life of discipleship to Christ. This is not what it's supposed to be, this is. We are all called to be disciples, not just believers. The call of the gospel is to follow Jesus as his disciples in this life, not to use it as fire insurance for the next. So it's clear to see that the good soil people that Jesus is talking about aren't just simply those who believe in him, but those who are seeking to become like Him and to do as He did. This also helps us understand why sometimes our progress in our discipleship can get thwarted, why there are weeds and rocks and obstacles and things trying to pull us away from being fruitful. Remember, maturity is possible, but it's not inevitable. Let me encourage you with this. Regardless of which soil type you feel like describes your spiritual health today, weeds can get pulled, rocks can be removed, fertilizer added, we can all be amended into good soil. But before we go any further, I dare you to get honest with yourself. What's the current state of your soil? Are you soft? and ready to receive the teachings of Jesus, to apply them to your lives, to follow him? Or are there some rocks that need to be removed, some weeds pulled? When you think about these factors that we identified before, are these helping your soil to become more healthy, helping you want to be more like Jesus? Or are these just getting you dirty? God's will is for us to become more and more like Jesus, and he's willing to bring us through whatever is necessary to help us get there. But is your soil soft and workable, needing maybe only a little trowel to loosen up the hard-packed areas? Or is he gonna have to break out the jackhammer? Which of these would you rather he use? As we orient our lives to becoming like Jesus. We'll become more like those people that we love to be around who just radiate love and joy and grace. More importantly, we'll become like him. But how do we do that? Because this field is not just going to suddenly produce that overnight. And we're not likely to get that miracle zap from heaven that just automatically gives us a flourishing spiritual life. Now God absolutely does and can do a miraculous work of transformation in our lives and we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But it's not likely to happen without some intentionality on our part as well. Healthy spiritual formation is a process that includes both our work and God's work. And I invite you to think of it this way, it's a little phrase that I like, reach for God and see God reach for you. Because there's components at work of both of these things, of us seeking to connect with God while he's seeking to connect with us. The picture that I have in my mind as I think about this is like a, a loving parent and a little child You instinctively know that in a healthy relationship like this, there are times when the kid's just reaching out for the parent, seeking closeness and connection and security, and there's also times when the parent, even if the kid's not paying attention, will scoop the kid up in the arms, and and you know that when this is going well, that both are reaching for each other, neither is ignoring each other or refusing the other's attention, nor is it ever one-sided. reach for God and see God reach for you. Now as we think about what it means to reach for God, that can be like what we're doing here. We're worshiping together in a community of believers. Maybe it's through our prayer life. Maybe it's through Bible study that is helping us to seek and apply the ways of God. Maybe through spiritual practices like having a time of solitude with Him Maybe spending a wonderful day of rest and worship on the Sabbath, or exercising our devotion to him through prayer and fasting. Maybe it's just choosing to be with him, like in the way that Pastor Rick talked about last week. These are all ways that we are reaching out for God. And then there's times when our growth will happen because of what he's doing in our life. And this could be any number of ways also. Often, believers with that kind of faith that you just wanna emulate talk about the life experiences that God brought them through that had such a deep impact on their faith. Or maybe those key people that came along that served as companions on the journey who either helped them or see to understand what God was doing or to help encourage them along the way. And of course, there's those times when God just provides for our needs in ways that we think it had to have been from Him. His fingerprints are all over that. Healthy spiritual formation happens as we reach for God and we see God reaching for us. But let's think a little bit more deeply about how this actually helps us to become more like Jesus because that is our ultimate goal as we're seeking to be people of Christ-likeness. When we reach, likely the first thing that we're doing is looking at what we're reaching for. Remember when I asked you if you had someone when you were growing up that you wanted to be like? Likely, before you started copying anything about that person, you spent a lot of time just watching them and observing them and noticing the things about them that inspired you. So it is with becoming like Jesus. There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians 3 that talks about how before we believe in Jesus, before we have the Spirit of God alive in us, it's like we're covered by this metaphorical veil, but once we believe, that veil is taken away so that we can see Him. 2 Corinthians 3:18 says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. There's a couple of great things that I wanna highlight out of this. Do you notice that it's in the present tense? We are being transformed. Now our salvation or our justification is something that happens once for all, but the work of sanctification in our life or this process of becoming like Christ is an ongoing process throughout our entire life and is happening to us. And as we look to the Lord, we're being transformed. And we're being transformed with ever increasing glory, which that's gotta be exciting. Whatever we know of Him now, it continues into even more glory. And I find it so encouraging to remember that this comes from the Lord. This isn't something that we're doing all on our own. Our work here in this verse is we're looking to the Lord, we're contemplating Him for who He is, and He's doing His work of transformation in us. Now I also wanna say something that I hope is really encouraging to any of you who may not believe in Jesus yet. Maybe you've been frustrated that you have not experienced or seen the things of Jesus that you hear other people talk about. Well, maybe that's because that metaphorical veil is still making it difficult for you to see. And the good news of that is don't be discouraged by it. It makes sense in that case, but you too can see. That veil can be removed as you seek to know God as your savior, as you ask him to take control of your life and surrender yourself to the lordship of Christ. You too can see this ever-increasing glory. Practically speaking though, how do we see someone who isn't here? Well that's why the Bible is so important to us as believers. We look to the Lord as we study him, especially in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when you read your Bible, don't just read it for information, read it for transformation. Spiritual maturity doesn't just happen because you know your Bible. It's possible to know it inside and out and still be an atheist. I mean, there are many religion professors out there that know the Bible better than many pastors do, but they don't know Jesus. Instead, read for what we call gospel fluency. And Pastor Caleb mentioned that idea on the handout that we have available for you that is something we're gonna be walking through in the First Timothy series with a lot of intentionality. As you're reading, look to see what are the things that Jesus did and what are the implications of that for my life and then how do we apply the motivations that we see there in a way that helps us to become more like Christ. I got a fun board game for Christmas this past Christmas and none of us had played it before so it took quite a while before we were ready to start playing the game to go over the instructions and we had to read them several times because it was a little bit complex. We had to figure out you know, what is it that the strategy is trying to get us to do? What are all the rules for the game? Well, it's kind of like that with reading the Bible. They're God's instructions to us about what the purpose is, what the goal for our life is here and how we understand who he is. But with a board game, how pointless would it be if all we ever did was just read the instructions? If we just thought through that strategy, maybe even expressed awe for the game creator, what if we even just got together with other people to read the instructions together and study them and talk about them, but we never actually played the game? That's why Bible study in itself won't make you like Jesus. We can't reduce our spiritual maturity just to this. However, it is an essential aspect of us knowing what the purpose is and what we're aiming for so that we know how to play the game for all that He intends for us. Now here's the amazing thing, as we give our lives to Christ and seek to become more like him, we'll actually become hungrier to study our Bible than ever before because we know that every day is bringing new opportunities for us to practice the way of Jesus and we want to see him in the Bible to know what that looks like and how we do that well in a way that brings him glory. Well another way to reach out for Jesus as we're seeking to connect with him is through prayer. And Pastor Rick brought this up last week about the importance of prayer and the essential beauty that there is in us spending time with Jesus in that way. He took us to that scripture from the Sermon of the Mount that reminds us we don't have to overfocus on our words or worry about sounding fancy, but rather what God's looking for us is to find space to go and be alone with Him and enjoy time in prayer with Him. And as you do that, I wanna give you a tool that can take that and help, it help you become more like Jesus. When you pray, consider what would it be that Jesus would be praying for in this same situation? Or if you're praying for someone else, what would Jesus ask his father to do for that person? Or what would it be that would be on his heart right now if he were me? And if you're not sure what that would be, that's another wonderful thing to be looking for in your Bible as you're reading, to see if you can find clues that answer some of those questions. Or if you're still not sure, try this. God, I want whatever Jesus would want in this situation. Now that can be a scary prayer to pray. If you're not sure that you can pray that authentically, you could try this one. God, help me to want whatever Jesus would want. And as you practice praying like Jesus would, you're actually training yourself to think with the mind of Christ. Now none of us start there, but good soil people find a lot of fruitfulness in making that a practice. Now let me ask you, when your mind has a break, you know that time when nothing is really distracting you, there's not anything specific that's holding your attention, where do your thoughts go? Do they naturally rest in peaceful thoughts of God? Or do they more naturally tend to go to whatever is your next worry or the thing that's causing you stress or anxiety about what's coming up? The human mind is far more moldable than most of us realize. And the more we focus on something, the more it becomes part of us. And that goes both ways. If we feed our mind with anxieties, we will feel more anxious. If we feed our mind with the things of Christ, we will become more like Christ. This is the kind of transformation that God delights in for us. Remember that verse I pointed out a little while ago, Romans 12 2? he wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. If we feed our mind with the truth and beauty of goodness of Jesus, we renew ourselves as we take every thought captive to see the world through his perspective, we are resetting our baseline thoughts to his truth and his beauty and his goodness. Now, admittedly, this is going to be easier for some of us than others. Some of you only need that little trowel to, uh, to loosen up the ugly, anxious thoughts in your brain. Some of us need that jackhammer, but we can do this, and it is worth the effort that it takes to train thinking like Christ into our practice. Now, it would thrill me to no end if we all left church today wanting to become more like Christ and we were set and resolute to go about doing this. And the parable of the soils encourages us to know that some people are going to do just that. But it also warns us that some people may initially feel excited about this and want this, but the worries of the world are going to come around and weeds may grow and rocks may may be a stumbling block for us. And if you're worried about that happening to you, or... If you're honest with yourself and you're thinking, I'm not even sure I really want to be like Jesus, or even want Jesus, I applaud your honesty. Even in being able to process that, that might be a sign that God is reaching for you more than you think. But for all of us, if we're gonna make some significant progress in our spiritual formation that lasts, regardless of our soil type, we're going to need a few things. We are gonna need some radical self-awareness we're gonna need a willingness to be transformed by God. And we're gonna need a supportive community of people who are there to walk alongside us. Because there are a lot of forces that are gonna to try to pull us away from Jesus. And it might take the form of other people who maybe don't get what we're about, or they're just trying to distract us with other things. Maybe it is just a lack of willpower. You know, we're hitting that, that time of the month, that week in January where they say the majority of New Year's resolutions are falling off. None of us have the willpower to just strong arm our way through a life change. We need some other factors to keep us going. The formation process is a journey with many ups and many downs, many seasons of our faith that are joyful and fulfilling and satisfying And then many of us experience seasons of doubt or discouragement. And if you're in one of these darker seasons right now, take heart. Don't throw in the towel. It doesn't need to be this way. Darkness can lead to light that is even more brilliant because of where you've been. But to be fruitful, good soil, we're going to need to be honest and authentic with ourselves. We're going to need some of this self-awareness to be real about where we are and where we're trying to go with God. If you don't want him right now, don't fake it. Don't just try to pretend you are something you're not. This is a time to get real, real with yourself, real with God, real with others. You don't wanna just feel like a hypocrite in this because you're not fooling yourself and you're certainly not fooling God. He already knows you better than you know yourself. But what helps here is if you've spent that time looking at Jesus, contemplating for who he is, at least your head knows that he is full of grace and mercy and compassion for you, and he's like that father that we all want at the end of the prodigal son story who's just watching for us to turn back to him, who's scanning the horizon, waiting for us to come, and his arms are open, ready to embrace us in that. But like the prodigal, this is where we also need to not let our pride get in the way. We need to be willing to let God do his work of transformation in us. We've talked about reaching for God, but we can't let this pride or our doubt or discouragement rob us from God reaching for us. And don't let any shame that you might feel either over something you've done or something you haven't done rob you of that either. Now let's get one thing straight. None of us are perfect. God and I are working on a number of things in my own life and my authentic soul only has grace for the things that you and God are working on in your life as well. The devil would love to come and plant weeds and throw rocks that try to convince us that the sins that we struggle with are evidence that we're never gonna become like Jesus. But we can't fall into that trap. John Mark Comer in this great new book that I hope you will all read writes, when you sin, and we all do, don't hide it from God. Hold it before God with no excuses, no blame shifting, no denial, just utter vulnerability. And let God love you as you are, and then let God love you into who you have the potential to become. I love that. Don't hide anything from God. Let him love you into who into who you have the potential to become. Healthy transformation happens as we bring God into every aspect of our lives, especially the places where we're struggling. And as we sit there, letting God love us, we are transformed by His love and His grace. But this whole process isn't something that we're meant to do by ourselves. We all need a supportive community of people to cheer us on. God designed us for this, to be able to encourage other people as they encourage us. We all need our monkeys in this with us. If you were here last month, that makes sense. We need people who can help us pray for us, encourage us, and help us see our progress in this Christian life. And that's why we make such a big deal around here about getting into a small group. We've got this new series coming up, and I hope you'll pick a group for that. And if joining a small group right now feels a little too intimidating, we also have our spiritual practices classes that are a great small group-like experience and a four-week way of uniting with people around a tool that helps you grow in your faith. Becoming like Jesus is a lifelong pursuit, and it's God's will for each of us. And for many of us, that's reason enough to pursue that. But we all may benefit in remembering why it is that we would want this for ourselves. Now Jesus is of course wonderful because he's our way to everlasting life with God. He's the one who died on our behalf to take away our sin. But the point of the gospel isn't merely to tell us how to get to heaven when we die. The point of the gospel is to transform our life here and now And think about this, if we wouldn't wanna be like him now, why would we wanna spend eternity with him? Here's why I wanna be like him. He was all about love, love for God, love for other people. He was compassionate and merciful and forgiving and gracious. He taught brilliantly taught people how to think about God, how to think about others, how to think about themselves. He always conducted himself with wisdom and integrity no matter what the situation, if he was around people trying to use him, people trying to manipulate him, even people trying to kill him. Children wanted to play with him. Soldiers looked to him for help. Ordinary people became extraordinary as they followed him. He gave hope to the hopeless, he grieved with the grieving, he gave peace to the tormented, but most importantly, he gave his life for you and for me. How could there ever be anyone better for us to seek to become like? But I'll admit those are ginormous shoes to fill and I would collapse under the weight of that if I measured myself against that standard of perfection. He was perfect and sinless, I am not. And I don't want any of us to leave here this morning feeling overwhelmed by that. Instead, here's the last thought that I wanna leave you with. The standard that God is looking at as we measure our progress in becoming like Jesus is actually radically simple. That standard is love, love for God, love for people. Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And Pastor Rick is gonna talk more about this next week, so please do join us for that. But as you seek to become like Jesus, do everything through the power of the Spirit with the disposition of love. And if you want to measure your progress in how that's going, ask the people around you, am I becoming more loving? And the way that might look is, do you see me becoming a person who is more joyful, more at peace? Am I kinder and gentler than I used to be? Am I less frustrated by things that used to make me frustrated? Am I faithful, patient, self-controlled? Am I growing in love, not just for my friends, but also my enemies? This is the best life trajectory we could possibly be on, and how wonderful if 10 years from now, we're all more of these things, more like our Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we do want to be more like you, and thank you that through your spirit, you are doing a work in each of our lives as we seek you. Lord, would you help us today to look at you with our full self and would you do your work of transformation in us so that we can become more like you, more like the kind of person that is known for love, love for you, love for other people. We do love you, Lord, and help us to love you more. Amen.